Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Ruth Fit and welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I've been following you for a long time on Instagram. Absolutely love your work. You're an exceptional painter. How did you um, come to be a, a full-time painter? Well, um, I started drawing portraits when I was in my mid-teens and uh, I was just bored and um well i was i was always an arty child um i was doing all sorts of creative projects all the time different things and one day i just had this thought you know i'm supposed to be good at art what's the most difficult thing i could do let me challenge myself here so i tried to draw a portrait and obviously the result was atrocious more or less <laughs> and uh, so um being a you know, quite a competitive sort of person with myself, I decided that wasn't good enough and I started practicing. Um, so I, I was drawing faces from movie posters and um, just images I found online uh, for the rest of my teen years and all the way through an unrelated university degree. What was, what do you mean unrelated? What were uh, you majoring in? Uh, music, classical music. So you're a musician too? I am, yes. Wow. Or I'm envious be. of people like you that can do music and art. That's amazing. Okay. So, so go ahead with your story. Sorry to cut you off, but I felt like that was no, relevant. No, um, so, well, the full story is that um, while I was at uni, a couple of different shows happened that actually needed a portrait to be painted for that show, which is bizarre. Um, so the first one was a Bernstein musical, um, a, not a very well-known one, but one of the characters is painting the portrait of one of the other characters because they're all kind of bohemian people. Um, and so the director of this sh show said to the students, is there anyone that can make us something that looks anything like a half-finished portrait of this girl? And so I said, well, yeah, I could probably do that. And I'd never actually painted a portrait before and it was in acrylics and it looked kind of like a Disney princess. Um, but uh, it was a start. And then the following year, um, there was an opera that required a portrait of one of the characters because the portrait fell off the wall in the plot and it hit someone on the head and just opera. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the same people asked me if I would paint this one and then the lead tenor's mother came to see the show and said, this painting is amazing. Can you do a painting of my son? Um, really? And uh, yeah, so it kind of, it got to the point where I'd done a handful of commissions for friends and friends' parents. And in the field of music, the only thing I actually wanted to do professionally was write film scores, um, which is really shooting for the moon. So 
being a portrait painter actually was my most viable career option at the end of my music degree, <laughs> which is crazy. not supposed to be in. Yeah. So it just sort of fell in your lap. I mean, that's crazy to me because so many people like myself included, their parents tell them, don't be an artist because you'll absolutely starve to death. You'll be poor. You'll have a miserable life. And you weren't trying to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And it just fell in your lap and became the, as you put it, the most, uh, well, maybe you didn't quite say this, but well, yeah, you did the most viable option financially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So my parents were great as well. Um, they refused to let me get a part-time job. They said, you stay at home until you can afford anything else and you just paint and you work out how to do this and you are not getting a part-time job because if you do that, you will never become a full-time painter. Oh. Um, and it was, yeah, they were wonderful. So, yeah, so what training did you have though? I mean, were you, did you just teach yourself how to do this? Um, more or less. So, really? um, Obviously, I, uh, I've read some books and I've watched some video tutorials. And I've taken a couple of workshops. Um, joining Instagram was uh, an eye opener for me in terms of the amount of content that's out there. Um, when I was first learning, so kind of 2012 to 2015-16, um, I uh, I didn't have a lot of resources and I spent a lot of time just painting from photos and I did quite a lot of photorealistic work. Um, I didn't really know where to go or how to improve on just copying an image so it looked like what I was copying. Um, and then I joined Instagram and suddenly I was seeing all these painters doing these amazing things that were so much more than just copies. And um, yeah, I, uh, I learned a lot from that and um, I began to push for more in my work. And, uh, yeah, I took a workshop with Michelle Dunaway, which was lovely. Um, it was four, four and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've taken some online courses with um, Michael Klein and Joseph Todorovic and yeah, various webinars here and there. Um, Josh Larocque, um, I downloaded his classical portrait tutorial, the really long one, mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, and that really helped um, instruct me in some really solid and thorough principles of how to get things technically correct. Well, that's interesting because um, I never would have thought you were influenced at all by Josh LaRock. Your work seems quite a bit different than his, but I guess principles are principles. It's, um, it's in the way he um, thinks through every step and um, his discussion of what happens as the form turns away from the light and um, particularly in terms of chroma as well as value. Hmm. One of the main things I picked up from that was that as a form turns away from the light, it drops off in value, but also in chroma, um, which is not something that had ever occurred to me before. And um, it just, you know, principles like that, basic um, scientific things um, that I think are, are universal if you're trying to paint realistically. Yeah. 
So are these things that you began to see once you knew them or are they, do you sort of ignore what you see if there are exceptions and draw and, and, and then draw on these principles anyway? Um, I think the knowledge of the principles comes into play um, mostly in areas where life is kind of ambiguous. Mm. Um, so if the model is moving or the light is changing um, or you're just too far away to see the detail, um, that's that's the point where you have to make the artistic decision, right? Um, you know, to to fill in um, what what you decide you want to be there rather than just um, just following exactly or trying to follow exactly what you're seeing. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So who are some of your other influences besides the ones that you mentioned that you actually studied with? Well, studied with is a stretch, but you know what I mean? Um, well, I did actually, I did study with Josh. I took a workshop with him oh, okay. earlier this year, which was nice. Um, influences. I love the paintings by the naturalist painters. So uh, Bastien Lepage and Emile Frion. Um, and there is a, an English school of painters, um, the Newland School, who are operating around a similar time. Um, so you've got um, Stanhope Forbes and an even less well-known painter called Frank Bramley, who is a personal favourite, hmm. um, just produced some wonderful uh, outdoor paintings, um, beautiful value control, and a very kind of unfussy paint application. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of Sargent, You're uh, not. which I know is, is a, <laughs> a big statement to make. Um, Tell me why. Rather, I, uh, um, I suppose I find, I find all the bravura a little much and it's so deliberate and so obvious. And I prefer the work of painters who um, either the paint just lands how it happens to land, or um, the best example I can think of is Michael Klein, the way he applies paint so that he's thinking about how can the shape of the brush stroke or the actual physical pile up of the paint on the canvas um, replicate the feel or the character of the thing that I'm painting. So that it looks, or a sergeant painting just looks like it's entirely made of paint. Um, whereas it's, I prefer the paintings where it's possible to make the paint look like something else or have the character of. Like, imagine sergeant trying to paint long grass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would just look like paint, um, but you can actually make paint look like it has the texture of grass and it can say so much more than just. I am oil paint on a canvas being a painting. Right, right. Which is why you're more drawn to the naturalists, it sounds like. Yes, I guess so. Though. And I mean, influence, influences come from everywhere, don't they? And yeah. sometimes with the naturalists, I find that they're too specific and um, almost photorealistic, which I guess is because they were working in the early era of photography. Yeah. So you, you take different things from all different places and 
pieces from one uh, one school or one artist and pieces from another and then you try and merge together all the bits that that speak to you mm -hmm. so okay well that's great so tell me about your subject matter though what is it that inspires your subject matter obviously you paint portraits so aside from the portraits aside from the commission portraits let's say yeah what um, what about people are you interested in what kind of subject matter are you really inspired by It's a good question. Um, it's uh, it's something that can be difficult to pin down, um, isn't it? Uh, well, I do a lot of work um, on figures in landscape. I think I am. I personally am very drawn to the outdoors, and there is a particular bit of countryside near where I live, which is very wild, and you have these huge rocks and very barren moorland and heather, which just goes for miles and miles. And um, in late summer, it's just purple for miles with all the, the heather in bloom. Um, but it's high up and it's away from everywhere else and the air tastes and smells different. And the weather is usually terrible. And um, I think because of a, a childhood of being made to go for walks, which I absolutely loathed at the time in the wind and rain um, and the mud, um, I have ended up absolutely loving those exact things. And there's nothing I like better than being more or less alone on top of these huge rocky hills. Um, and feeling like myself when I'm up there and um, just me in the air, really. Um, so that's a feeling that I, I try and bring and I try and capture in what I'm painting. Um, other than that, I guess I'm looking for a story. I'm, uh, I'm looking for something that speaks beyond just, this is a portrait of a person or, um, Specifically, I'm looking for something which doesn't just say this is a portrait of an attractive young woman, because obviously a huge percentage of art history and contemporary art is um, is based around that theme. And uh, well, it's something which um, uh, it really grates with me and I'm sure it does with a lot of people, but um, I, yeah, I'm seeking to say something different. Um, so you'll probably know the, the painting I did last year, which is of a much older woman. Um, I was really excited about that to find a, a model with a face that just said, paint me. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really enjoyed that painting. It's on my studio wall now, that's why I'm looking over there. Um, oh, is it? <laughs> so you have it in your possession still? I do. It does have a, a destination. Um, I don't think it's this been one announced here? yet. But yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. So it won an honorable mention with the, the Art Renewal Center. Oh, congratulations. Nice. Thank you. So, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because I'm with you 100%. Um, while I do, there are artists that I admire that paint beautiful women. Um. 
I don't gravitate toward that either. Um, but you know, you're not painting unattractive models. So no. like, there's gotta be more to it than just avoiding attractive people. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that is motivating your choice of models. Mm -hmm. Right. So can you yeah. dig a little deeper into that? What, what it is you're trying to avoid and what you're trying to gain? Yeah. Um, I suppose I am trying to avoid, it's not a question of avoiding depicting an attractive young woman at all. Um, but, uh, it's avoiding painting her as an object just there to be looked at without any character or motive of her own. Um, I mean, as you say, there are many very, very talented, very wonderful painters out there who will still just paint a lady in profile or whatever on a beautiful scene and it's titled Serenity or something as if there is absolutely nothing more to this woman than the shape of her profile. And, um, you know, she doesn't have, you know, the picture, even the title may be Serenity, but the picture itself is just Serenity. It's like, there is nothing more to this person. There is nothing, it says nothing about what's going on in here or in here. And, um, yeah, I guess it's just, um, fighting against the perception of a woman as nothing more than her appearance which sounds very cliche when you put it like that but um it's i honestly hope i never paint a painting which is just the appearance of a woman for the, the sake of the appearance of a woman another question i have though is you talked about a story and suggested that mm -hmm. you're interested in some sort of a narrative in your work and yet much of your work is a portrait right it's a figure in a landscape or a figure in some sort of environment but there's not a blatant narrative in much of your work so yeah i'm particularly interested in this because i think we're on the same page i'm, I'm after the same thing and i'm interested in knowing how what are some things that you've learned how you've come to resolve this issue of making a portrait more than just a portrait yeah do you have any thoughts on that um, well, it's something I'm still working on, and um, I've, I've actually set aside a few months at the moment to work on that specifically. Uh, last year was a very commission-heavy year for me, uh, which was wonderful. Um, you know, there's, it's wonderful to earn money, particularly in the current climate. Um, but uh, yes, it's it's not something I would say I have solved, um, and it's very much something I'm trying to explore all the time. Um, I found that simple things like enhancing gesture and adding movement, um, you know, turning the, the body one way and the head the other way, um, it just, that simple thing, it implies a contradiction um, and it implies action within the model's thoughts. Like, am I going this way or am I going that way? Which is more mm. important? You've got an instant conflict. Um, there is instant interest, an instant story because of that one basic implied question. Um, yeah, and you've uh, captured that in this particular painting, the abduction of time. That's exactly what you did here. 
Yes. Yeah. So is there anything else that you've discovered that helps you to achieve that? Um, multiple figures always help. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still, I'm still working a lot on uh, composition with multiple figures and how to put people together. Um, I've, I've done a few paintings where it's, um, there, there are multiple people, but they're, uh, it's basically just a head and shoulders kind of effect with two or three people in the, in the painting. And I'm, I'm working on how to, on some compositions where I have more than that number of people. And the issue I have, this is very honest, is like arms and legs, you know, they, they just go everywhere and <laughs> you end up with, uh, this kind of spider like object. Right. Um, yes, um, harmonizing the, the lines and um, the value shapes and things, it just requires a lot of sketching and re-sketching, I think. And I think maybe getting models in and then drawing them and then working a bit with the sketches and then going back to the models with, you know, having solved some of the issues that arose the first time. But that's, so, uh, it's in process. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that, that process. I mean, are, are you working from photography at all or is it all entirely yes. from life? Okay. So what's I, the relationship between photography and sketching? Cause many, many artists who use photography sort of replace sketching with photography. So why is sketching important and what purpose does it serve that photography can't for you? Well, um, I will take as a, a sort of case study a painting that I'm working on at the moment. Um, and so this painting began as an idea in my head um, without any models or any references. And I wanted to paint a woman carrying a black swan. Um, I had the, the black swan motif just kind of came into my head one day and I thought, I don't think I've ever seen anyone paint black swans. I wonder what it would look like. And, um, anyway, that's another story, but, mm -hmm. um, it, the process began with the idea. I sketched what I imagined the painting to look like. Um, I then did some research on the internet because obviously I couldn't really get a swan into the studio. Um, and uh, I did some more sketching based on the images that I found. And then I got a model and I had her hold a black pillow, um, obviously instead of a swan. And I made a portrait study from life to get the colors. And I took some photo references. Um, by the time I actually got to sketching out the composition from all these different references, um, the hands of the model in the photo, they weren't quite as they would need to be to support the weight of a swan because she was just holding a pillow. Um, so I was looking at some anatomy books and things and looking at my own hands in a mirror, um, holding, you know, imagining I was holding weight and looking at how that affected the, the tendons and everything and the positioning of the fingers and whether they were bent that way or that way, and that kind of thing. Um, so by the time I actually came to be putting this together, I had all these references, but what I was actually making was not a copy of any of the references. It was all 
um, it was so far removed from the photographic material that I couldn't even have put it together in Photoshop. I would still have been changing it once I got onto the canvas or onto the paper. So um, sketching comes into play, I think, when you have to extrapolate from your reference images and use your brain more than your eyes, I suppose, um, to actually put together what you want. And it's useful for value patterns as well. Um, it allows you to, sketching allows you to think this is what, this is the painting that I want to make. And this is how my references come together to make that painting rather than I have this idea. What do the photos say? Okay, now we copy the photos. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So it's a way of thinking. In... I think so. Yeah. I, I think the, the major disadvantage of photo references is that they present themselves as such an authority. Um, it is very difficult to look at a photo and say, well, I don't want to paint it that way. I want it to look like this. Um, if you have a live model, they're constantly moving, um, even if it's just incremental. And you as the artist have to make judgments about, okay, well, is the tilt of the eye going to be this or this? Um, is, the, is this colour going to be that or that based on what the light's doing? You know, you have to make decisions about what you want the painting to look like because the model is not exactly the same all the time. Mm. And I think when you're working from a photo, it is it becomes difficult to break away from the stillness and the fixedness of that image um, to make your own decisions, which and it's the decisions that you make in the end that are what make the painting art rather than just copy. And I think obviously you would do that to a certain extent anyway, even if you weren't consciously trying to when painting from a photo. But yeah. That's my uh, that's my take on mm. on photo reference. Let's go to your art at this point. I'd like to know more about the narrative on this, like what you were getting at when you okay. did the abduction of time. What were your thoughts? Well, um, it began um, it began with the model and with the model's face. Um, actually, uh, she has this. Uh, she's an older lady. She has this um, amazingly sort of skeletal face um, with very deep set eyes and uh, I had her in the studio and um, we were testing out some poses under my skylights and I had her you know tilt her face slightly upwards and it was just a complete wow moment because the light hit her face so fully that um, I couldn't see the pupils of her eyes at all they just became mm. these kind of glowing orbs and yet her um, eyes are so deep set that there were still dark shadows gathered around the edges of them. And it was just a moment of, you know, I have to paint that. It would be a criminal waste to not paint that angle with this model. Um, so we kind of went from there and I'd already had the idea about the clock. Uh, I was just thinking it would be a an interesting prop to use. Obviously, a circle is a great compositional tool. Um, and the, the concept of time is, um, uh, it has weight and um, it gets people thinking. 
all that kind of thing. Um, so we experimented a little bit and then I, uh, I was thinking, you know what the upturned face reminds me of? It reminds me of a whole bunch of Renaissance paintings, particularly, or Baroque paintings, I suppose. Um, there are many, many paintings of uh, young women being carried off uh, because a load of those paintings are based on classical mythology and they were always abducting women. So you've got the abduction of the Sabine women, you've got yeah, um, many, many, many paintings of helpless women being carried off with this expression of horror with the wide open eyes and the similar upturned face. And um, yeah, that gave me the idea of uh, referencing that in the title of the painting and um, overturning it so that the the character in the painting was not a young helpless woman but an older experienced woman who is taking charge of the narrative and um, it became the abduction of time because obviously we had the the clock right there with us um, and I, I've had lot, lots of people respond to it saying I've basically it's about old age and it's about death isn't it that wasn't really what i was thinking of i was thinking more of um, changing history i suppose okay oh i could see both to... i could see both perspectives yeah. yeah it didn't occur to me the whole death idea though <laughs> it's uh, it's not really something i'm thinking about at the moment yeah yeah so on this painting, you, if I remember right, you had some details of the face on Instagram. Is that right? So I, I, uh, yes. I'm okay, sure okay here we go. Right here. Um, and I remember seeing this and just being blown away. I mean, you're right. These eyes must have been so much fun to paint. Mm -hmm. But here's what I want to ask you about from a technical standpoint. You okay. do something I've seen many artists do that I don't do, and I wanted you to comment on that and, and uh, maybe talk about why, or even if you're doing it intentionally. I assume you are. No one as good as you is doing these things on accident. But um, you, what it seems in many of your paintings, not all, but in many of your paintings, you seem to sort of ride in the middle of the value scale. Like you're not really pushing too hard on the darks or the lights and sort of mm -hmm. sitting like, I don't know, 20%, 15% gray to 85% gray. Um, am I, is that, am I wrong about that? Or is that something you're doing intentionally? Or can you talk about that? Um, yeah, I think um, my thinking with that is that um, both with value and with chroma, I want to reserve my strongest notes and use them um, where they are needed uh, rather than everywhere. Um, this particular painting, I deliberately held back on the darks because I wanted to um, evoke the ambient light effect of being outdoors. Oh, okay. Um, the, the cloak came out a bit grayer than I was anticipating i have since learned how to do that better which is uh, which is great for future paintings but um yes uh yeah so i was holding off on the darks because i wanted to get a feeling of light all around and i don't know if there's a, a close-up of the clock anywhere on there but um 
I did this fun thing with the clock where I completely lost some of the spokes against the the lightness of the sky. Yeah, back here. A lot of fun doing that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time thinking about the light effect and trying. Obviously, the model was in the studio, so I was trying to imagine how how it would look if she were against a bright sky. And then you can see um, just to the to the left of her head, there's one really bright. It's a very high chroma, high value yellow note. Um, Are you talking about right and, through here? Uh, uh, yeah, just a little to the left of there. I'm pointing at my screen. Obviously, you can't see what <laughs> yeah. I'm pointing at. Yes, that's that's the one. Yeah, um, yeah I am. Um, the idea with this piece was I wanted to build up the sky in layers that gradually got brighter and brighter. And uh, this was taking a while because <laughs> um, obviously I had to wait for each layer to dry. And then um, each time I added a layer, it was like, wow, the figure's really popping forward now. And then um, I would add another layer in it. I was like, oh, it was actually not that bright before. Um, so one day I thought, well, how, how bright is this actually going to go? How long is it going to take me to get there? And I just put on this big impasto, um, pure white with just a touch of cadmium yellow. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, we've actually got a few steps to go up the value scale still. And then I stepped back and I realized that that single note would probably have much more dramatic effect than if I were to raise the value of the whole area. Um, so I left it and I, I stopped raising the value of, of the surrounding sky. Wow. So I don't know if that answers your question. It, I think it does. Yeah. Um, I want to look at a few more though. Maybe you could comment on mm -hmm. a couple more where you sort of reduce the value range. And I've noticed this about your work many times as you've posted on Instagram. Um, that's, is that, that's the same detail. Let's look at that it's real quick line, though. Yes. But yeah, I mean, you have no dark darks in those eyes at all, but it all comes together. And in the mouth, the nostrils mm -hmm. are probably 20% lighter than they sh not should be, but would be in nature. Mm -hmm. But it's an incredibly beautiful solution. So yeah, that's really, I, I appreciate that answer. Um, but then on some others, let's see if we could find some other examples. Because some you do get into some pretty dark darks. So it's not like you've got a formula going here, mm -hmm. right? And so this one, I assume it's because you're not trying to create that feeling of ambient light. Yes, um, I guess that one was more, uh, that's just a portrait study. And I was, uh, I was going, <laughs> I was really attracted to the form of the nose. And to be honest, that's why I painted that painting. Um, <laughs> That's the, just the only thing I nose. was really going for with that study. <laughs> yes, just to paint her nose. Um, well, if you had just painted her nose and that's it, it would have done much better on Instagram. Probably, yes. <laughs> People love that stuff. I don't understand it. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's see. Yeah, maybe it's not as common as I, I imagined, but you definitely do it on occasion. Um, I think this self-portrait, you've done a lot of beautiful self-portraits, but again, here in the nose, the space between the lips, you're really being very reserved again here. So is that another situation? So here, you're not necessarily outside. This is assumed by window light, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So in this case, 
is it does it go back to what you said previously where it's just that you're trying to reserve those punches of value and chroma and it's so that so that you're not overusing them well um i uh i can't actually remember because this was painted a while ago though i do remember um this was painted from life and as you guess it's by window light um the window was the only source of light in the room and i was basically painting in the dark mm -hmm. um, there was no light falling on the canvas so um oh so you may have missed the values it's all it's probably why it's all quite high key to be honest because the actual <laughs> canvas was in the dark i love how honest you are it's great but it works <laughs> it works you know, but do you Thank ever you. find... Well, I, I figured if, if the entire canvas is in the dark, as long as I paint it in a way that looks correct, it will all harmonize with it itself, right? Right. Yeah, that's good. But so, I kind yeah. of wonder throughout history, because if how many incredible discoveries in painting are made by accident? I mean, do you ever mm, have situations mm -hmm. where you might do something like this and you paint something, let's say, it probably didn't happen in this case, or you would have already told me, but where, you know, you might paint something in the dark and then you pull it out and it's high key and you go, wait, I really like the look of these high key paintings. So next time you paint a painting in the light, you make it high key intentionally because you liked the way it happened when it happened on accident. I mean, have you ever had Absolutely. discoveries like that where accidents have changed the way you paint? I think one of, uh, the accident that made its way into the rest of my work was actually a brush accident in terms of um i bought some of their really cheap hog brushes like the the ones that are i think they're 99 cents the rosemary and, ones and yeah i discovered that i love the way that that uh that brush range paints and i love the texture that they apply the the paint with and i've been using them ever since and really yeah, they, they recently put some in a brush set for me, and I think I'm the only person that has a brush set with the 99-cent hog bristle brushes in it. Really? Do you just yeah. like how kind of rough and ragged they are, or, or aren't they? I've never used them. Um, they, um, they're kind of, they're, if you imagine a master's choice brush, mm -hmm. but with um, just a little bit firmer, so you can actually scoop up more paint to apply it. Because mm -hmm. the master's choice ones, they're so soft, they just, you know, they flop. Um, that's what they're like. I'm going to give that a uh, shot. Hmm. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short testimonial by one of my online mentorship students. If you're interested in learning more about how you could study with me, either online or in person, check out heinatelier.com. That's H-E-I-N-A-T-E-L-I-E-R.com. I've been doing Jeff's online mentorship program for about a year now, and it is awesome. Everything is online, super streamlined. If you can be there, I mean, you have the ability to talk to him once a week, and he can review your work and help you. If you can't be there, it's pre-recorded. You can go back and even re-watch things if you missed something during class or couldn't be there. So the online portion of it is almost better than real life because you can always go back to it which is awesome the demos are recorded it's just like all available whenever you need it and i'm a stay-at-home mom of four and my time is limited and it's also very interrupted and so to be able to go back has been clutch for me and 
you get to work with Jeff Heim, who's awesome. He's tough. The assignments are simple, but difficult, and they're difficult to make us all better. And he's able to give us these assignments, coach us through it, help us stay excited to progress. And so it's just been a great experience. I am so grateful that he has been willing to take time away from his own heart to offer all of us to have it. So if you're thinking about doing it, it's amazing. Welcome back to the show. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about that is different than what I do, and this is part of the reason I love to interview people like you, because I don't, I don't care about what I do. I want to know what other people's what other people are doing because they're doing such incredible things and it's so much more interesting than my solution you know to me because my solution is like yes I it's guess, like looking in the yeah. mirror you know it's like yeah that's the thing i see every time i paint so another thing i've noticed about you is it's similar to the to your reserving or being um conservative with value and chroma but it's you're also with detail so like in this one it is a video so i'll have to wait for it to come back but you, you put very little information in certain areas, like in the eyes. It, the eyes might be, let's try another image. The eyes might be nothing more than a few strokes sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Or let's look at these lips. That's oh, it's a video again. Enough with the video. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a You're, good example, actually. It is a good example, though, but look, no at, look at those lips. There's like nothing there. It's so simple. And that nose, it, the, all the edges are soft. Okay, this is an ideal example in that eye. Oh my gosh, I love this one. I'm so glad I clicked on it. So tell me about that. How, how did you get to that place where the solution was to almost blur out the details completely? I mean, there's so little information in that eye. Tell me about your thought process there. Well, I guess I've, um, I've seen so many paintings um, where... Uh, <laughs> similar to similar to that i guess there is very very little information there and it's really exciting because there's so little information and yet you can tell exactly what it is and i guess part of my thinking is um that is something that i really like and so i'm basically always going to be looking for information that i can leave out and that's um that is part of my thinking when i paint in general right so i mean sometimes i think i'm looking for more than what i personally experience but the answer i guess is probably often that i've seen it before i like it therefore i do it <laughs> and there, i guess there's nothing wrong with that um but it really does work it's amazing how it comes together when there's so little information i mean that's that's a few strokes in the eye um, yes, and um, let me tell you, it looks like the eye is just a few strokes. That yeah, I was actually going to point that, kind that of out. Effect, mm -hmm. um, it often takes, I think, much longer than if I were to just paint it the way I saw it with the detail in the tear duct. And yeah, eyes particularly because the, there are so many lines. Um, you know, there's the line of the eyelashes and the line of the upper eyelid. I don't like lines, so I will do anything in my power to get rid of them. And it can take a while, 
and sometimes you paint it and then you come back in the next pass and you paint it out and you spend you know twice as long removing the detail that you didn't really want in there yeah in fact as soon as i said that i thought that's the wrong word what i should be saying is a few shapes a few values mm -hmm. but it's clear that you're making a very conscious effort to simplify you know and you mentioned sergeant's not your you know your main artist your go-to um, artist but that's something that i often hear that people say about sergeant is that he just did things in one shot and I'm just not buying it. When I look at a sergeant, I'm seeing glazes. I'm seeing sanding down, repainting. I'm seeing all kinds of effort to make it look simple. I think it, it depends on uh, on the stage of his career, doesn't it? And on whether it was a, a painting he cared about or just a commission that he did in an afternoon. <laughs> well, of course, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and all the prima painting, it's not going to be that way. But, but I think even though you're not looking to sergeant as an influence, um what you're suggesting is that is part of the battle and creating simplicity is that simplicity is not is actually more work or at least as much work as detail yes definitely yeah it, i think it takes um, more brain work even if you get to the point where it takes less brushwork right more so more brain work for less brushwork meaning that you don't you get to a point a level of mastery where you don't have to paint and repaint and repaint is that what you're suggesting uh well i i don't know you might do i haven't got there yet if you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh i think for me the where i've come from certainly the default setting is just copy what's there and i have to engage an extra level of brain to say, well, okay, that's what's there, but what do I want on the painting? Right. Yeah, that's that's great information. I can imagine a lot of the viewers, well, let me put it this way. I shouldn't speak for the viewers, but if I had heard you say that 15 years ago, it would have saved a ton of time in my learning. And I mean, I'm learning from you right now after 20 years of painting, but because I remember thinking when I was in art school, that to make it look simple, you have to be able to have this masterful stroke and just get it down the first time and never touch it. Otherwise you're doing it wrong. I, I assumed that as well for yeah. a long time and it caused me a lot of frustration and misery. And then <laughs> I realized actually, um, yeah, to, to make it look a certain way, you, you look at these paintings and you assume that their appearance is just the result of, as you say, a certain level of mastery, a certain type of correct brushwork in general. Um, when actually what you have to do is think and do it deliberately. And the day I realized, oh my goodness, you have to deliberately make the brushwork look that way. It's not going to just happen. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a great day for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's look at, a, let's see if we can find a, a, another example. One thing I love about your work is that you do quite a few self-portraits, which I find really interesting, although I'm not seeing any right now. Oh, there's one right here. Although that's not, that's really small, but it'll have to do. It's a baby one. That's a yeah. little tiny one, but it's beautifully done. Um, Thank you. Let's see if we've got another one in here. Oh, there's, there's uh, one. You here's just a better. Past one. What's that? You scrolled past one, actually, an oh, unfinished did I? one. 
Yeah. Uh, one more row up and. Ah, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Thank you. That's, is that done from life? Yes. Yeah. Now, so tell me why you do self-portraits. Is it, well, I'm not going to suggest anything. What, what is it you're thinking when you choose to take time away from other paintings and do a self-portrait? Um, it is basically the opportunity to work from life, uh, for as long as I want to. Um, booking models, you know, nightmare most of the time. Um, people don't have enough time to come and sit for you day after day. Um, so, yes, often I, maybe I have an idea about a lighting effect that I want to look at, or maybe I just want the practice um, or feel the need to do a you know project from life. If I've been doing a lot of commission work where I've had to do like a quick study at the beginning and then paint the actual thing from photo references or whatever, um, and I just want a break. Okay. Um, this one was a, a pandemic self-portrait, so that kind of speaks for itself, really. Right. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Self-portraits are, for me, it's a good way to practice without the, the stress of having to make sure the model's comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. it feels so nice to not be like, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, and, and you don't have to write them a check at the end of the session. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess by, I guess if you can't sell it, you're writing yourself a check. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're losing money, but I imagine that your self portraits are probably pretty marketable. Is that, has that been the case? Are you able to sell these? Um, I have sold a few of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would, I have got, well, I've got three sat in the studio at the moment. So yeah, I don't sell all of them. Really? Do you ever keep them for sentimental reasons? Like this is the point in my career where I looked like this? <laughs> um, oh, well, I, uh, I would have to let you know, because, um, as I say, I've got three here, but if someone asked to buy one, I would then have to make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, that's yeah, really beautiful. Is... Thank you. All right. Let's go back to your website see some more finished stuff here um okay is there one that you you'd really like to share something about on this figures and landscape page um well we chatted about the abduction of time that's probably um that is my most uh, most recent finished figure and landscape and probably the one i have most to to say about, okay so um let's try let's try uh something else then so we've got portraiture i'm interested okay so here let's talk about this conceptual portraits because you had mentioned that you started doing multi-figure work but you're kind of stacking heads and shoulders to avoid the spider arms <laughs> so here's a good <laughs> yeah. example here's an example yes. of that um can you tell me a little bit about this one it's called things not seen 24 by 16. it is yeah um that one was uh well it was a deliberate uh, attempt to paint a multi-figure painting um this was painted from uh, photo references uh, of three different models in three different sessions 
um, I actually had sessions with the two models at the front right before we went into lockdown here in the UK at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so I painted them both quite a lot over the next year or so. Um, I, uh, I wanted to put figures together, so I taped a spot on the floor and I photographed both of the figures um, in the same spot at the same time of day um, with natural light from the window. And um, then I was just, I played around a lot on Photoshop and um, just putting figures together and discarding them and trying another thing and uh, yeah, and then hit on went through several kind of plans for the background and did various sketches for that. It should have a more romantic story, but um, no, that's really okay. Doesn't. That works. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I mean, it seems sometimes we just paint for the love of painting. Mm -hmm. Um, this one is different for you. Tell me about this and the butterfly. I mean, is it, does it have meaning? That is, um, it's not my reference image. I painted that when I took a, an online workshop with Joseph Todorovic. Ah, I thought so. Cause it, so, it, it yes. felt like a Joseph Todorovic. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he so provided the, the rent, he provided the image. Yes. No kidding. Wow, it's a beautiful painting of it. I bet you got a good grade in that workshop. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you know, but I interviewed Joe Todorovic a while back. It was a great, a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, let's see what else you got here. Um, and it's, I'm, you know, I want you to comment about sales. You know, you've got a lot of red okay. dots on here, which is great. Mm -hmm. It suggests how successful you've been. Um, but it's also nice to see that you're selling on your website. Like this one, it says through gallery. This one, it doesn't and doesn't, doesn't. Tell me a little bit about that. How are you structuring your business with personal sales out of your studio versus your relationships to galleries? How does that work for you? Um, most of my sales come through galleries. Um, well, most of my business comes from commissions. Um, I'm represented by a London-based agency, quite a prestigious agency, a very prestigious agency, actually. Um, and uh, yes, so most of my work comes in the form of portrait commissions from them. Um, I'm represented by a couple of galleries here in the UK. Um, and I also exhibit with the Royal Institute of Oil Painters and they have a, a selling exhibition once a year. Um, I mean, there's not really that much to tell. I put work into shows and sometimes it sells and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people approach me directly and um, I sell direct. I sell quite a lot of work to the States, actually, more so than to the UK. Um, oh, what do you attribute that to? I think there is a very different taste in general um or i know this kind of painting is a lot less common in the uk um really it's considered traditional and um it's not that popular uh 
So is the UK also, still sort of modern? Yes. They got a modern taste? Yes, so. Yeah. I mean, the US does too, but it's nice to know that the US is at least starting to appreciate realism. I would say so. And also, I, I think in the UK, people just don't think of buying art in the same way. Hmm. That is so strange being an American because like, I haven't been to the UK yet and I, I really want to come, but I know my brother went there and I, of course, know many people have been there and, and obviously we've all seen pictures, but you guys have, you, I mean, your, your country is dripping with beauty and culture and architecture and art. And it's just in ours, everything we build is made out of plastic and particle board and cardboard and it's just garbage, you know? And so, <laughs> um, I mean, that's, I mean, there's obviously exceptions. There's lots of great craftsmen here, but as far as like the architecture, yeah. unless you're a billionaire and sometimes even in those cases, it's still garbage. Um, it's so it's surprising to me that a country with that's dripping with culture would be uninterested in buying art. Or at least less interested. I, that's probably, you know, it's a, yeah, it's an overgeneralization to say it's uh, uninterested. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know why it is. Uh, hmm. I think there is a lot of, People are told that um, fine art and culture, such as classical music culture, um, everyone thinks it's elitist and um, it's only for people with lots of money or it's only for old people and it's just not encouraged. Really? The, uh, the painting um, in the middle row there on the far right of the uh -huh. two ladies with the purple wrap. Yes. Um, I entered this painting, um, this is a little story now, um, I entered this painting for a local art show. Uh, my city where I live, it leads, um, it was supposed to be in 2023, the European capital of culture. It bid for this and it was successful several years ago. Um, but with Brexit, uh, obviously the UK no longer part of the European Union, um, Leeds was no longer able to be European capital of culture, but it's still calling itself Leeds City of Culture 2023 because a lot of the work had already begun before it was cancelled. Um, so uh, Leeds Art Gallery, which is a big museum, um, has a lovely um, water house and an Arthur Hacker, which is amazing. Um, they are holding a an exhibition of contemporary Leeds artists supposed to be showcasing the diversity and all the wonderfulness of the art scene in Leeds. This is my hometown. Um, and so I entered this painting for the open call and it was rejected. I love um, watching, before I can, for those who aren't watching this, um, uh, it was really interesting as you were talking about this to watch this subtle, change in the expression of your face as you were getting to that <laughs> statement i saw this subtle smile starting to form because i and i knew where you were going with this um uh -huh. where you were just i could sense the thoughts of how ridiculous the outcome was going to be so tell me more go ahead sorry to cut you off well um i i was uh, i was amused um 
this show was billed as showcasing the diversity of the art scene. So I assumed they would want a lot of contemporary stuff, but um, I, I think they're going for installations and um, that kind of thing. But if you say you want diversity, then surely that implies reaching to either end of the spectrum. Um, yeah. So, yes, it just that is that is the state of the art scene in my hometown that this painting foresight which um, it's been to Barcelona and back, it was shortlisted for Figurativas a couple of years ago. Um, it's uh, a finalist with the Art Renewal Centre this year, um, and it is not um, required or wanted by uh, Leeds Art Gallery for their Leeds Artists Show celebration of Leeds culture. Unbelievable. So just a little, uh, no comment from me, uh, to illustrate that, but a little illustration of uh, what the art scene is like over here. But the but the expression on your face was all the comment that I needed, so I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, that was a riot! So I had a similar experience when I was in college. I applied for uh, um, a grant from the city, and at the time, I didn't know you could make money selling art. But I heard that there was this grant, and um, I had. I was doing some pretty strong realism at that point. And um, even today, I can say that I'm still proud of what I was doing then. So it wasn't, it was decent work. It wasn't bad. And um, anyway, I applied for it and I lost to a person who wrote words on light bulbs and projected them on a white wall. That's who I lost it to. They gave that person, I don't know, $5,000 for writing words on the end of a light bulb and projecting it onto a wall. And I was like, <laughs> what were they writing the words with? Was it like, like, just know, like a Sharpie, like a Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. Something what like did that. they need $5,000 for? I, I don't know, but that was tax money. <laughs> I mean, that's all that came out of a tax payer, you know, tax payers pockets. So it's crazy. Yeah. So you're not, you're not alone, but it's nice though that America, I mean, that people like us can make a living now. In, in this, I mean, I think of people like Max Ginsburg and uh, Burton Silverman, who kind of, and many others who had to sort of pave the way back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s when we were completely laughed at. You know, realist, realism was just so much less significant than it is today. But as you as you put it, in places like that gallery, it's still seen as not diverse yeah yeah, yeah i should point out that in this large museum um beautiful old museum where i mentioned they have a water house and an arthur Hackett and a, a frederick lord layton and all that kind of thing all those paintings are crammed into one small room and the rest of the gallery is given oh. over to contemporary work and installations are you serious that's incredible Incredible. Waterhouse, the by the way, is the one of my favorite are One painters. on top of the other, they're just like squashed in a corner. Oh man! So, what do you think of Waterhouse? Um, you know, I prefer some of his works to others. Okay. Um. Uh, a lot of his figures, I find, are quite kind of flat. Um, I. I forget the names of the different paintings. And yet the Lady of Shalott is very three-dimensional and um, 
Yes. Are you odd. speaking from seeing these in person? Because I've only seen a few in person. So when you yeah. say they're flat, are you are you observing this from a painting in person? I'm just curious no, because he's... not not the ones I'm referring to actually. Okay, because I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm just asking you because I'm genuinely curious because the, yeah. all the ones I've seen in person, I've only seen. I can and don't ask me the names because I can't remember my own kids' names half the time. But um, all the ones I've seen in person, I didn't get that same impression. But um, he's always been one of my favorite painters, and the reason why is not only because he's got. I mean, he's just a he's just an incredible draftsman for one, but and painter, but his narratives are so interesting. The way he composes multiple figure paintings, puts figures yes. together and composes the scene, mm -hmm. that is so hard to do. And I probably will die not having figured it out. And I feel like he was really good at that. So that's yeah. why I was curious. I, I wonder what your thoughts were about it. There's one painting, um, it's the martyrdom of somebody where it's um, completely foreshortened figure like this on the snow. Yes, and, with uh, all yeah, the pigeons and stuff. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. that one's incredible. Very, I've not seen it in life. No, so. but he's it's... British, right? Mm -hmm. yes. So, I mean, are there, uh, do, does um, Britain not have a bunch of water houses floating around? Or are they spread all over the world at this point? I think that, yeah, they're pretty spread around. Mm. Um, we do have um, the Lady of Shalott, though last time I was in London, it was in Australia. Oh. Um, and yeah, we have a few kind of scattered around the museums. Um, I think there's a few in Liverpool, which I need to go and see. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk more about you instead of Waterhouse. Let's see what we got. I keep on pulling. <laughs> I'm giving a plug to Rosemary Brushes on accident constantly. I keep <laughs> flipping back to, to Simi on accident. Um, all right. So... Let's see here. I'm going to pick out one of just some of my favorites, if you don't mind. Well, I like this sure. one. I like this one because oh, it's multi-figure, like but too. it's you. Mm -hmm. I love yes. seeing artists in their work. So tell me about this one. Um, well, I, again, I was setting up. I wanted to make some multi-figure pictures. Um, and this model in the foreground, she's one of my favorite models. I, uh, she's the one with the nose that I wanted to paint. Um, <laughs> yeah, she I, is beautiful. I really love her face. Yeah. But it's funny you're interested in her nose. Her nose. whole face is beautiful. <laughs> it's funny yes. that you're obsessed with her nose. <laughs> Why her nose? <laughs> I know she's she got has gorgeous these eyes, gorgeous mouth. Huge, huge green eyes. And I'm just her nose. <laughs> her nose. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, Anyway, I, uh, yeah, I had her in the studio for some photos and, um, I was, uh, I kind of photographed her from every angle thinking, you know, I would try some different things, ways of fitting figures together. And, um, and then I, uh, I just had the thought to, to photograph myself also because, um, I know what kind of facial expressions I enjoy painting and um, when it's just me and the camera, you know, I have no insecurity or embarrassment about doing crazy dramatic things um, to use them for, for reference. So, um, yeah, I took a bunch of, of photos of myself. Uh, again, I was holding a black pillow because I knew the model had been wearing black 
which would allow me to to join the two together. And uh, yeah, so I um, I came up with this composition, and um, it uh, it spoke to me on a on a kind of personal level due to some some stuff that I was experiencing at the time. Um, the idea of a partnership that was maybe maybe moving in in one direction and maybe not you know the way the the foreground figure she is she's moving in the direction that they are both going but she's looking outwards as if she's not quite sure or maybe she has made up her mind but no one knows what she's thinking um I don't know if that makes any sense at all yeah. but yeah there's the idea is that there's a lot of psychological stuff going on in the picture um and like I was talking about earlier, they're moving one way and looking in different directions, which um, which implies a lot of conflict. And um, from a, a visual point of view, I love the the way the light falls on the, the face at the back. Um, and that's kind of carved into by the silhouette of the figure at the front. Yeah, I agree. And this is another good example because you're both beautiful, but it's not about <laughs> that. You know, I mean, it really it could be you could easily have made this about mm -hmm. about the beauty of the model, but it's there's an implied narrative. But it's also interesting because it's a narrative that I can't pinpoint, which kind which is maybe it maybe an intentional device, maybe not, but it would seem like a useful device to keep people looking because I can't quite figure out what you were what what the narrative is but there's something there yeah it's it's not something i would habitually use because i think it would become um become old quite quickly yeah you know kind of deliberate ambiguity you if you see that too often you begin to question whether there's actually anything there at all or whether the artist is just being ambiguous to be interesting right yeah that's a good point but that's the case with everything, isn't it? I mean, if you if you overdo anything, it gets old in painting. You kind of, kind yeah, of have sure. to be fresh all the time. Um, all right, let's go back. I want to look at some of your portrait commissions now. Because you said that this is how you make most of your, or what most of your um, income is from. Is that correct? Did I misunderstand that? Yeah, so um, there are, are not many up there. Thank you. Um, being commissions, I uh, I often don't um, don't get permission to post things online. So you have just to a, get permission to post your commissions. Is that the way it is in the UK? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Really? I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah. Here in the US, um, we own the rights to the paintings. So it I mean, I'm sure I own the rights. It's just, a, um, I suppose, in in Britain, it's probably a politeness thing. Oh, gotcha. That makes sense. If you forget to ask, you're too polite to chase it up and certainly too polite to post it without having asked permission. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's more cultural than legal. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's see. Is there one of these commissions that you feel comfortable talking about that maybe you had an experience while you're thinking? I particularly like this one. 
Thank you. I like that one too. Yeah, I like the composition. We've already looked at the detail of his face in that short video. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this one? Sure. It, it was part of a, a double commission. The, uh, the second portrait, the portrait of his wife is um, one to the right if you scroll across. Okay. Um, nope, oh, that's, that's not his wife. Right on my screen. I know screen, who that is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, so they are seated at either end of this um, big leather couch. Um, hmm. And uh, yes, I mean, this one, I, I just love the lighting. That's the natural light from the window. And I was, uh, I was really struck by the, the silhouettes on the shadow edge of his head. He had a, a great shaped head. Um, yeah, he does. The, Good guy the light was hitting the wall really bright behind him. And then you had the shadow of the head and it was just one of those really painterly moments. And it was like, we are definitely going with that angle because I'm definitely painting that patch of light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it just came together really nicely. He was the kind of plum colored velvet of the waistcoat. As you can see, I was able to lose it completely into the red wood of the cabinet behind. And yeah, it just made itself that painting. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure. So tell me about the book he's holding. Is that significant? Uh, he's an author and uh, that was his, I think it was his first novel, which uh, won a lot of prizes and things. Wow. So they're kind of, they're separate, but together. So they're on the opposite side of the couch, but it's two different paintings. Yes. Um, tell me about that decision. Was that their decision, your decision? Uh, that was their decision. Um, I think originally it was just going to be one painting and then they decided to get both of them painted. Okay. But I'm assuming they're hung as like a diptych right next to each other. I haven't actually seen the hanging, but um, I would assume so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they are, they are beautiful, beautiful paintings. Um, now, forgive me. How do you get back here? I'm hitting back and I just keep going. Well, let's talk about oh. this again. Another self-portrait. Is this, I'm assuming this one was also done from life. Yes. Um, um, yeah, tell me about that. If there's anything to say about it. Yeah, uh, it's my most recent self-portrait. Um, I painted it last June. Um, it's painted uh, under the skylight in my studio. I wanted a really kind of sharp chiaroscuro, so I blocked off all the other lights. And uh, yeah, I just painted under the skylight, which was, um, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, hmm. It's little 16 by eight. So would you say mm -hmm. it's about half light life size or something? Um, just having a look, uh, probably slightly more than half life size, but yeah, I think the, the head is probably about five, five and a half inches. Wow. Yeah. That's another great one. And then you've got this one. This one looks a little more. Oh, this is the one we've already looked at. I didn't realize it was part of a larger piece, but this is also small, it's, 16 and, by and it's eight. it's the same size. Yeah. Yeah. So you're comfortable painting smaller than life. I never paint smaller than life. Well, that's oh. not true. If I'm doing a multi-figure oh, really? painting, if I'm doing multi-figure, then I don't have a choice. All right. Some of them are going to be smaller, but, yeah. um, but I never choose to do a portrait smaller than life. So I'm, I'm curious, what are... 
where is your comfortable zone in a portrait? Clearly you're, you obviously are comfortable in both, but where is your preference? Oh, it, it probably depends which I currently am more in practice with. Mm. Um, so if I do a run of commissions and I paint a bunch of life-size portraits in a row, I get really into the whole, you have so much freedom with the brushwork and the paint. And when you're painting the eyes, for example, um, you can just, you know, play around and have fun with the shapes and um, uh, the feels like there's so much more space than when you're painting something, you know, half life size, when you're trying to, you're trying to get some nice brushwork in the features, but every tiny stroke of the brush alters the shape. Um, so you have to be much more careful, but yes, I mean, it's, I like both. Yeah. It's very boring. Um, it <laughs> swings okay. around the lots. <laughs> that's not boring. I mean, that's great that you're flexible. Cause I mean, I literally go to life size. It's like, it is, I mean, if it's a portrait, it's going to be life size. I never even give it any thought. Um, I would, I can't imagine grabbing an eight inch wide canvas for a portrait. So I find that really interesting. And um, it's great that you can do it any size and you're comfortable with any size. So um, this one is in your studio as well. It is, yes, it's still on the wall. So yeah. can you, how do you feel? Do you feel comfortable grabbing it and giving me a sense of scale, like holding it next to you? Sure. This one is, um, the scale is smaller than the previous one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's little. Look at that. No, that's definitely half life size at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a nice size. I like that. So I'm surprised I that's not like in a gallery. It. That seems like it would be a really marketable piece. Thank you. It has been in two shows, I think. I'm just looking on the back of it. Um, yeah, it was in the, it was with the Royal Institute of Oil Painters, and then it was in another show um, with one of my regular galleries. Okay. That's a great, great piece. Okay. So let's Thank look you. at just maybe one or two more. This one's unbelievable. I mean, it, again, it's just a guy's head and shoulders, but it's so masterfully painted. Absolutely love it. I wish I could get closer to it. Oh, maybe I can. Let's see. You should be able to. Yes, you can. Oh, um, it gets a little blurry, but it's helpful. I think there should be an option that gives you a, an option that says zoom. Yeah, there is. There not. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gorgeous. Well, this guy's got a really interesting face. He must have been fun to paint. Yeah. Yes. So what? tell me about this. What kind of commission was this? Um, this was... Uh, just another commission from a, a couple up here in in yorkshire um okay. i painted uh, this gentleman's wife the year before and then they came back to me and said they wanted uh, another painting um so he came and sat for me and i spent a day with him and made a, a sketch and also took some photographs and then used both references to put together this painting so when again, you do the sketch it's separate um, it's not, you're not actually painting yes. on the canvas. You're using the sketch as reference. 
I, that is the way I used to work. I do sometimes these days go straight onto the large canvas. You do. Okay. I'm still, I'm still kind of figuring out, um, which I am more comfortable with. Uh, and often I find it depends on the sitter, which unfortunately you don't know until you start painting them. Yeah. Um, with commission clients, you have no idea whether they're going to be happy to sit still or whether they will want to talk or whether they're really uncomfortable sitting still. Um, and obviously if they're not great at sitting still, then it's more logical to work on a, a separate study that where the drawing doesn't matter so much. Um, but if it turns out they're a great sitter and you can get the likeness really easily, etc., then it, you know, starting on the main canvas is, is fine. Right. So is her wife, or sorry, his wife in this um, line? I don't believe so. No? I don't think so. So the reason I asked what kind it was is because it could have been an official portrait, um, you know, for a college or a university or something, or a politician, but it was a private one. Um, yes, yeah. So this one, tell me about this one. Uh, this piece I painted for the agency, um, the portrait agency, uh, for them to hang in their gallery. So it's, uh, Oh, as a sample. Um, yeah. Okay. And do they still have it? I believe so. Okay. So you've got one that, that can't be sold. It has to be there. Uh, well, I guess if they sold it, I could just send them another one. Oh, okay. Okay. That's great. Well, this has been fun. I really appreciate this conversation. I have one last question for you, though. Um, sure. uh, and I ask, if you've listened to my podcast, you probably know what I'm going to ask you. But what piece of advice would you give an aspiring young artist? What's a piece of advice that you wish you had when you were starting? I would probably say that... The most important thing is to do things your own way and to follow your own path. I get asked so many times, how did you do it? What do you recommend? Um, uh, did you go to a school? In which case I want to go to the same school. Um, do you, what galleries do you recommend approaching? How did you do it? People ask me all the time, what did you do? And the way I've done things has not been particularly orthodox um, in the sense that I didn't go to a college, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I have found that my work has developed the way it has because I made that decision to do things in my own way. I'm not saying don't go to a college. If, co if art school or atelier or whatever is right for you, then do it, but do it because it's right for you, not because that's what somebody else did. Um, the whole point of life is that you have to live your own life. And if you're trying to ape somebody else, then you're never going to be living your best life or doing things that is going to be the way that produces your genuine art, which is your genuine self. That's great advice. I love it. I love it. And it's, that's the wonderful thing about being a painter is there is not, there isn't just one path to getting mm -hmm. there. If you Absolutely. want to be a doctor, you have to get a medical degree, but to be a painter, you just have to figure out how to get good at it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's going to be different for each person. And that's the beauty of art because it should be different and it should be diverse. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for doing this. It has been a huge honor to talk to you. As I said before, I'm a well, big fan. You. I learned a ton getting to pick your brain today. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm delighted to have been here. It has been fun. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.